There is this book that I used to own in high school. The book has a blue cover, and on the front, there is a cartoon drawing of a girl in a pink crab costume. When going through the pages of this book, I could smell a hint of some flowery scent, which I will never ever forget because when I used to write on this book, I would sniff the pages every single time without fail. I would write mostly when an event happened in my life, from developing crushes, finishing a game I really liked, or just generally when I felt down. Given the fact that I only used to read comic books and Disney children's encyclopedia, I couldn't write all that well, and I think it really shows even now. I would write down my feelings on this book, mostly in the form of shoddy poetry. Thinking that the rawness of my words would cut through the sheer awfulness of how my stanzas were structured. I don't have the book with me anymore, but I still produce these poorly written poems, better suited for spoken word performances to convey my feelings. Let me read one of my earlier ones called "Like Light," about not being able to be with somebody you really want to be with. You mesmerize just like light. Your greatness blinding, your ambitions bright. You're real, just like light. I can see you on me, around me. But you're also sad, just like light. 'Cause when I need you most, I can never touch you. On this episode, we'll talk about writing our feelings down, and also, let's read some pretentious poems. Hi, Edgelings. This is Andy or Andrew, and you're listening to Edgy but like make it gay, a rather cringy podcast where I talk about my edgy gay takes on things, either by myself or with friends. Today, I've invited a guest speaker to talk about writing, feelings, and poems. So I hope you enjoy the show. So today, I present to you our guest speaker. Somebody that I work with, somebody who recently amassed a huge amount of power in her career. She also lives pretty nearby, and that's the only reason why I'm talking to her. Proximity. Hi, Swati. Hello. <laughs> so, um, let's start off with me asking you, how are you feeling today on a scale from one to ten? Um, a hundred and ten, I would say. I'm feeling extra good today. I don't know why. Because you're excited. Yeah. <laughs> to hear yourself talk, you narcissist. I think I'm I'm finally fulfilling my destiny, and that is to be on a podcast. And this won't be the last one, guys. It is though. No, not your podcast. But <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, Other okay. podcasts. Hello. Okay. She's gonna release her own podcast. Oh so. hell yeah. <laughs> um, before we talk about anything, how about we get a better picture of you? When you were a、um, teenager, what were you like? Well, I was、uh, your run-of-the-mill emo chick, listening to Evanescence and Avril Lavigne,、uh, having the most sheltered life, yet somehow thinking that my life was just so dramatic and. 
uh, heartbreaking. And if someone else were to live my life, they would just not survive. I do have a question for you, though, because I don't think I've ever asked this. Did you wear braces when you were a kid? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Did you feel confident with your braces? Because, like, you know how, like, some braces have, like, all oh, these, like, flower pattern or, like... Yeah, I didn't no? have any of that shit. I had the classic metal ones. And the only thing I remember feeling good about having them was that... Uh, well, I lived in Delhi, the rape capital of the world. Whenever I was out and about and I felt objectified or, uh, like, you know, guys were looking at me, like, old men were looking at me... I was just like, well, I have a built-in weapon. Like, if they attack me, I'm, I'm going to just bite their dicks off with my braces. <laughs> like, you know, it's like walking around with weapons. So I felt quite safe that in those three years. Well, that um, didn't really go where I thought it was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, full of surprises that way. <laughs> she's special. She thinks she's special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a uh, tiny little snowflake. <laughs> Um, so actually today, the bigger topic, uh, as I mentioned to you before um, we start recording, is mostly about putting feelings into words throughout the years. That's why I also asked you about um, what you were like uh, during your teenage years. I personally have this ritual that whenever something important happens to me, I write very pretentious poems, which you have seen just now. Like um, Lang Leave or Ruby Carr, like on Instagram, a lot of enters and spaces. And I was just wondering if you have the same kind of ritual. It's not so poetic for me. It's more prose based. So when I have a feeling, I tend to overthink things a lot. Yeah, I mean, looking at me, you might not be able to tell it. But uh, yeah, I'm an overthinker, classic overthinker. I find writing things down somehow makes me realize just how ridiculous some of those thoughts can be and how intrusive they can be if you don't write them down. And I've I've done a social experiment on myself when I actually didn't write for a very long time. Uh, I would say somewhere between the ages of uh, 19 and 22. Those were horrible years for me. Like so much anxiety and self issue, like self confidence issues and insecurities popping up left, right, and center. And then I started writing again, and that helped me channel a lot of these anxieties. But you also get this feeling because for me, I also feel like these events, I don't ever want to forget about them, and human memory is shit. Yeah, I think already when I'm writing things down, I'm already starting to forget so my brain is already filling in the blanks and that is the beauty of studying neuroscience you get to understand how fucked up your brain really is and just how much of your memory is false and and it's just filled in blanks with just random pieces of information that your brain gathers over the course of your life writing it down of course preserves bigger realistic chunk of it but again It's you writing your perspective of an event. So it's not the full truth because the same event could have gone very differently for a different person at the end of the day. So like, do you do it, uh, journal or write proses um, right after the event or like slightly after the event? Um, So it depends on the event itself. So if it's, let's say it's a very vivid dream and I wake up from it. Uh, I have been known to actually pull out my journal and start writing. Wait a second. Do you have a dream journal? 
I try to keep one, but it's uh, not, I'm not so consistent with that as I am with my day journal. So I just kind of have these uh, like streams of conscious thought from time to time. And those are usually my dreams because when I wake up, sometimes I'm like, I really need to remember this dream. And if I go back to sleep now, I won't remember them. So I have to write them down. And I have a handful of dreams that I was like, I really need to pen this down right now in this moment. Tell me something that you've dreamt about recently well, without giving away too much. Uh, well, it was close to a very big milestone in my life, which was very recent. I defended my thesis. By far, usually from a lot of people I've heard, that's the one point, like right before you defend your thesis, that's when the most vivid, weird-ass dreams come to you. And um, I had a very vivid dream about my defense, which included a lot of people from my past and present life. I'm not going to reveal the whole dream because it's... I think those who are listening and know this dream will know what I'm talking about. But this was so vivid, I woke up and I had to write down every single detail of that dream. And uh, surprisingly, I still remember quite a lot of that detail. I can actually repeat that dream from memory even now. What the fuck is this dream? I don't know about it. It's the, the dream where I had my... We dissected Swati's dream bit by bit, and it had everything from snails to faces being caressed and even a scavenger hunt. We had a really good laugh before realizing that we were so sidetracked and just like that, a testament to how shitty our brains are. We forgot whatever it was we were talking about. <laughs> you can't remember either, can you? No, but uh, so we got somehow into uh, dream journaling and... Uh, yes, dream journaling. Thank you. Yeah. I actually haven't dreamt about anything in a very long time now. Really? Yeah. How do you do that? I don't know. I just get super tired and... I just, I just, I actually just don't dream most of the time. And even if I do dream, it's mostly like a, like it's a memory. They're not really um, like feelings that we haven't really processed. processed or like conquered. Because for me, it's usually the events or certain events of the day being replayed in a context that fits what I'm going through. Hmm. I can wake up and easily, I don't even need a uh, psychoanalyst. I know exactly what that dream was about. Yeah. So I think that you're... Would you say that you're a person who's pretty in touch with your feelings? Sometimes to a fault, yeah. But Sometimes I just wish for numbness. Like, oh, You're so... I, I'm so emo. I'm still so emo. Would you say that this feeling is edgy? <laughs> it's edgy, but not, like, gay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess. Swati's straight, everybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, Hello! <laughs> I feel like it's also that it's very cliche and very mainstream to do things like yoga or meditation to keep your mental health in check. I know that most neurotypical people do it because they they stay when strong he says and healthy. Neurotypical, he means basic bitches. <laughs> <laughs> That's problematic. Um, okay. I'm, I'm one of those people, and interestingly, the school I went to was one of these schools where they really pushed the whole concept of yoga and meditation. 
I grew up for the best part of my life believing this does not help in whatever way. Like, this is just bullshit or some kind of propaganda. I don't know. Uh, and then I recently started meditating uh, when I was going through the really stressful phase of uh, writing my thesis up and, and defending the thesis. I shit you guys not, it really changed things for me. It was a game changer. The level of focus, even hand-eye coordination that I have gained simply by meditating, I was very accident prone. So I would just like trip spontaneously while walking or uh, while I'm chopping veggies or whatever with a knife, I would quite often cut my hand. No fucking way. Doesn't happen anymore. Really? Really. You cut your fingers? Yeah, because I would just be not focusing on the task at hand. And my brain would just be like in some other stratosphere. Somehow meditation has really centered me. Okay. And now I feel when I'm focusing on a task at hand, I can focus like a hundred times more than I did before. How long would you say that you meditate like, um, I don't know, in a week? Uh, well, I do 10 minutes every single day. So like 70 minutes a day. In the morning? In the evening? Or? Morning. So it's morning, a morning okay. ritual. I wake up, I have a cup of coffee and, um, and then right before I'm going to start my day, I meditate for 10 minutes. Okay. And I do it every day. Like it's now Every single day? Yeah. Without fail. Without fail. That's commitment. I know. I did not know this about you. But it, it becomes, it, it's kind of like brushing your teeth at night. Yeah. So like, okay. if you don't do it, you feel the lack of it. Hmm. You know, you feel like oh, something is stuck in my teeth and I feel really bleh and you struggle with going to bed. You know what I just realized? This is sounding a lot like, um, I'm Esther Perel and this is housework. <laughs> Because I feel like it's so tied into... Do you want me to talk in a French accent? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, follow and listen to uh, on Spotify. My earring. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm glad that meditation and yoga work for some, including Swati. Because I personally don't think that I can commit to it. Nor do I think that I need it for the time being. It goes without saying that taking care of your mental health is especially important in moments of solitude and loneliness like right now. So this is a PSA for you to keep it in check. But personally, if mental health care were an ice cream, I would take the savory, unfiltered, poetic flavor, please. After the break, Swati and I are going to read some of my poems to cringe up your day. And we're back. So, I have a couple of poems that I wrote to myself during my um, younger years. And I thought that, again... Why not have somebody as poignant as Swati read it with me and reflect upon feelings attached to these words? So I have such an amazing voice. Oh, yeah. She has an incredible podcast podcast voice. voice. Yeah. Oh, my God. Envious. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. uh, Swati, do you want to... Start things off? Yeah. All right. So I was given a few choices. Lucky me. The first one that I chose is called A Losing Game. I lost my virginity at 15. 
I lost my mom at 17. I lost my way once or twice, but I'll try, I'll try, not to lose myself. Then I found you, and I've never been so scared. As we're drowning in our baggage, I lost myself in your eyes, and I let myself. I know I lose teeth, I lose hair, I lose everything, and eventually I lose you, or you lose me. And I'll rewind the tape to the night you first touched me, to the night I lost my heart, to you, my thief, to oh. you, my love. Ah, uh, I don't know. It's it's very touching. It's very personal. Mm -hmm. Would you be surprised if Kudos I say that? Kudos to you for sharing this, first of all. You're welcome. Would you be surprised if I say that it's actually not about me? Really? It's about a friend of mine that I had. She was a friend from my elementary school. That's why uh, I wrote that lost my virginity at 15 because I lost it way earlier. So that was her story. Why do you like it? So the reason this poem spoke to me, it's because uh, I think it's a very Asian concept of losing your virginity. It's yes. Like such a big deal. I think it's even a bigger deal than it is in Western cultures. Yes. Uh, especially because we have all these taboos like premarital sex is a big no-no in most Asian cultures. I lost my virginity at 21, so mm -hmm. really late in the game. But it wasn't at a point where I was like, yeah, I'm with a guy that I'm happy and in love with and I'm, we're going to end up together and have many babies and shit like that. It was more for me, I think it's time, girl. You need to get it done. Like just this whole hiccup that most Indian women or most Asian women for that matter have this pregnant feeling that everyone has around virginity and especially women in most cultures have it's just shit yeah it's sex at the end of the day yes I agree and um, it doesn't matter what age you lose your virginity because until and unless you know who you are and what you like the first time is always awkward AF mm. always I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, and that's why this poem spoke to me. Because I was like, ah, I really want to break the stereotypes. <laughs> How about now I do one... Change of pace. Change of pace. My <laughs> voice now. So this next one is www.omegle.com. It has a lot of rhymes. I used to be in love with a stranger. One I met on Omegle. A gorgeous boy named Ryan. He lived in Oregon, USA. I was in KL, Malaysia. We fell in love quick, easy, in one hour, maybe less. I came back to my dorm. I took my old beat-up laptop, turned it on, loaded my Skype. I was online and he was too. Sent him a kiss emoji and then there were two. We talked our hearts out. He was fearless, empathetic, and fragile and broken. We both were. Hearts so close, they couldn't touch. Body so far, three continents apart. It was a Friday noon for me, Thursday night for him. He told me, it won't work. I let out the most reluctant, yeah. Oh, how many heartbeats did I skip? Maybe four, maybe more. I used to be in love with a stranger. One I met on Omegle. I remember it until today. How easy love is to form and to break. Because I used to love and unlove a gorgeous boy named Ryan in five pathetic sad days. 
Damn. Wow. So, I also almost moved to Oregon because <laughs> I really uh, wanted to. <laughs> Midwest. Or, is uh, it actually? I don't know. I uh, know. Oregon is Washington State. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Seattle. Close. Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Did you like that? I loved it. You loved it? Okay. I I mean, I did not have an online yeah. love like that. But, you know, in this modern day and age, I can relate to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with, like, Tinder and, and, and Bumble and... and Bumblebee? Uh, <laughs> and Grinder and all these online dating apps. This accessibility hmm. speaks to me because, yeah, it's very easy to fall in love with a profile and only to realize there are just so many realities that you hmm. can't control or change. And all these reasons that you can love someone, there are so many other reasons that you can't. I remember I also wrote this uh, at first. It was on this, like, torn up piece of paper and I was crying and there were, like, tear marks and I was... Uh, it really speaks to my emo heart. Right? <laughs> like, tear marks on letters? The ink is kind of blotched out? <laughs> do you want to do another one? Yes. Uh, so the next one I chose is um, Categories. Okay, I actually haven't... And it's not a game show, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't... Like, I don't remember anything about this, so I'll, I'll think about what I felt I will. I'll try my best to yeah. evoke some emotions if, yeah. within me, Swati. Yeah. yeah. You are a continuum. So why do you keep trying to categorize your essence, your soul, as an Aries, as an INFJ, a sanguine? Categories might fit you in a box, and you'd feel like you belong in this idea of a space you can grasp, but no. Just because you don't belong in a category doesn't mean that you don't belong. Your physiology is finite, but your mind isn't. At the very least, it shouldn't be. If you want to categorize yourself for entertainment, sure. If you want to label yourself to make it easier to see where you are on the social spectrum, be my guest. But if you want to perpetually condition yourself to fit in this tiny box because you believe that it's the way that people should be, stop. You're not an instrument for society's convenience. You are not a category, a slice of a pie chart. You are a fireball of free will. You are a field of infinity. Oh, oh. that is so good. Oh, that oh is so my good. God. That is so good. Yeah, this was actually a bit more recent. So I think I remember that this I wrote uh, right before I went to Germany. Mm. And I just had a huge argument with a couple of my high school friends mm -hmm. from episode one. These people were just wondering why I box myself within being gay, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought that whether or not I wanted to categorize myself as being gay or whatever it is that I want to identify, I thought that it was just me. And I felt that if they couldn't understand what I was going through after all these years, all the double standards and all the things that um, straight people could get away with. Yeah. And um, if gay people do it, uh, straight people in general back home, they think that we're trying to get more attention. I was pissed. And I remember that a part of this I put up in like a series of Instagram stories. 
And then my high school friends uh, at the time were like, I'm so sorry if you feel that way, but that's not how I wanted you to feel. I also don't think that you should do this oh, online. That's typical gaslighting right yep. there. Oh. Why do you like it? Because I feel I'm going through a very transformative phase of my own life and I'm reassessing the the boxes that I've been filling in for the past decade or so. Some of those boxes fit, some of those don't. Time to discard those. And this poem, I, I feel your anger. I feel that anger because people who've known you for a certain amount of time tend to fight change. I totally understand this feeling when you were moving to Germany because I was going through the same phase. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited about that phase. But my friends felt, some of them at least, felt that I was just leaving them behind and that I was... They were a bit jealous of the fact that I get to move on to this new life and rediscover myself. And I was not apologetic about it one bit. And I still felt the pressure that I should be. Maybe I should be a bit more apologetic about it. But in the end, I wasn't. These categories, I think it's very, it's basic human nature to want to fit in and yeah. to put yourself in these boxes. But it's also human nature to realize that at some point you don't fit these boxes. Yeah. And to just break out of them and find new boxes to fit yeah. yourself. Or in. even if I, in my case back home, I didn't have a box to fit in. So I had to basically create or find a new box that yeah. people were not familiar with and they were kind of pissed because it was just not familiar you didn't to them. fit you yeah. didn't fit the boxes they had defined exactly they as society exactly yeah. yeah yeah and this this is something i cannot personally relate to because i'm straight and, and i cannot even imagine just how difficult it is for people who dare to be their original selves as as trans or or homosexual people and um I didn't have to go through this phase, but I have had to redefine my yeah. own version of boxes. Being a woman of color yes, definitely. in a Western world is its own different kind yeah. of strife. And I totally understand. And that's why I really love this. And this is probably my favorite. Most yeah? favorite okay. out of all the ones we selected here. I was confused at first because I was ready to be read to filth. And that would be funny having my feelings being torn apart by somebody else for everybody to listen. I thought that she would butcher my poems like my boyfriend would. And then I saw a glimpse of a rupee car book sitting on Swati's bookshelf. And I remember thinking, oh shit, fuck. Of course she likes my poems. She reads fucking rupee car. There I was, sitting uncomfortably on her couch, in the middle of my edgy plants, which were in shambles, and I was just bracing myself for compliments that I wasn't prepared to hear. It was bleh, but we had to keep going. You, you want to do another one? Okay, yeah. The next one on my list called Cigarette Butts. I see streets littered with cigarette butts, the irregular pattern they are arranged in. White, brown, short, decrepit, unfinished, in the gaps of the floor. There they lie. I see people with cigarettes in their fingers, always the same hand movement, and the tiny orange flicker by their mouths. Flicker no more, and they toss you. 
I see conversations between cigarettes. Some are happy, ecstatic, with teeth. Some are angry, deafening, with tears. Some are monologues, empty, no wits. I see people when I see cigarette butts, laid bare once they've served their purpose. White, brown, short, decrepit, unfinished, in the gaps of the floor. There we lie. Oh! I don't know if I like that. This piece is very recent, but yeah, why? I think I tend to treat people in my life like cigarette butts. I've had really beautiful friendships bloom out of nowhere and then just die. Quite often I've wondered, like, what whatever happened there? Like, uh, we had such a good time. Why didn't we continue having that good time? But I'm starting to learn that's how most friendships are. You meet someone, you have a few years or months or whatever, however long friendships last, and they are beautiful and they nurture you in that moment and you learn something about yourself, you learn something about humanity, and then suddenly it just goes away. Mm. And that's okay. That's perfectly okay. That's actually one of my favorite moods ever to, you know, showcase, like... Transience. Yes, and longing and not having things finished. And it's not necessarily uh, a sad ending exactly, yeah. either. Yeah. It's just a bittersweet memory yes. that you hold of each other. You're like, yeah, once upon a time, I was really close to this one person. And now, no. Uh, and I think I'll do one... For you again. I think it, this is the longest one. So feel free to uh, interject whenever. Um, so this one is titled Alcohol. I first met alcohol when I was 11. Too young, but with my mother. It was sake. Cheap supermarket bought. It was sweet. It was gross. My mom laughed when the flush kicked in. When I was 17, I met alcohol again. And this time, it was vodka with my ex. It was even grosser than the sake, and it burnt. But I didn't get the flush, which surprised him, but me even more. Now, I'm way past teenagehood, and I drink on various occasions. You might too, when you're happy or when you're out with your friends, alcohol in your system, inhibitions on the loose. And then you see a guy at the corner of the bar, with a whiskey on the rocks, bags under his eyes, once you can't really see, swollen, teary eyes, given by a girl who up and left him in the worst way possible. So, for people, alcohol might be the element of fun, but for him that night, it was perhaps the element of desire, or the element of need, even. Because the rest of the elements... The earth was crumbling around him, and he doesn't know what else to believe in, what else to stand on. And you can see him drowning in his puddle of tears, the water he thought was cleansing, and the air he thinks he can easily get, he gasps for it. Because anxiety's a bitch at times and steals air from right under you. So he turns to alcohol because it burns like fire, like courage. He needed it to burn his flesh and pain because the alternatives he just couldn't handle at the time. So he would rather burn. 
he knows that when the fire is out, everything will probably still be the same. The earth swallowing him whole, the water drowning, and the air gone. But at that moment, for him and many other people, with fire in his alcohol and less pain in his heart, he gets to burn a part of him enough to fuel him on so that one day he'll wake up, hopefully, with no alcohol in his system and just a little bit of pain in his heart. Can I just say you create the best imagery? Thank you. I I mean, I was with this guy at this bar. Like, I can imagine the whole bar and this very sad soul just sitting there playing with his little glass of whiskey. Oh, man. Was it more recent? Did you no, this was pretty old. And it was, I think right now the nightclub is gone. And it was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Malaysia, so. Sure. And I saw this guy and I eventually talked to him. And he was sad and he just broke up with his boyfriend at the time. It was a gay club. He told me how he wanted parts of him to burn. He just wanted things and feelings to go away. And I thought that... To be alcohol, numb. Yeah, to be numb. And I really, really like to embody that feeling. But yeah, it brings us back to... Numbness. Numbness. Yeah. Nihilism. Nihilism. Oh. Favorite. Like, it, it doesn't mean you don't want to feel ever again. It's just sometimes the feelings you're feeling are just too much. Mm. And then you just need numbness. Yeah. Oh, such a fan of that. Numbness, longing... These are just some of the things that I really like to write about. The medium that I'm choosing is definitely not perfect, but who enjoys perfection anyway? My boyfriend, Mike, actually devised a poem as a general critique on the way I write my poems, mostly because he thinks that the rough idea and the intention are there. It's just that I write like shit. Here are some of my favorite lines from his poem. The strokes on parchment, but a scratch upon the last. For what you say has structure, meaning, but is crass. It is iron not yet wrought, like a piano by the gods, with a program at the keys. I remember laughing so hard that I teared up reading this the first time around, but Andy being Andrew, he's going to keep the way he writes his feelings down. Writing about things that affect me definitely helps me get in touch with my being, and I can only advise it to you. And hey, if it's shit like mine, you can still get a good laugh out of it when you're old and would like to reminisce. Uh, I think for each of us, this point is different, but there comes a point where you realize just how much uh, writing down what you feel helps you process I, for me, have unlocked a lot of feelings and traumas from my childhood that I wrote about. And every day I learn something new about myself. So it's always nice to meet someone new, get into a relationship with them, and then you learn something new about them. It's exciting. But the most exciting part is learning something new about yourself yeah. from the same experience. Mm -hmm. You've experienced it before, but you unlock a new aspect of it and writing be it poetry be it prose helps you do that and if you can do that you can 
end up becoming an even better version of yourself, which is essentially what we're all trying to do through this long-ass life that we have. Consistently one-upping ourselves. Yeah, and keep at it. That's that's my advice. We're all in this together. Uh, <laughs> You're such a good... This is Andy, or Andrew, and you're listening to Edgy But Like Make It Gay. If you like this cringe fest of a podcast, then I probably like you too. Where did you find this podcast? Spotify? Apple Podcast? Eh, I guess wherever you get your podcast from. Music this episode is by Waterboy and Dream Heaven. New episode coming out in two weeks. Bye bye.